Brew Podcast. It is October 7th, 2020. Dave Gasper here with co-host Matt Carroll, and we are joined by a special guest, uh, reviewing the brew alum and current Dairyland Express uh, co-editor among various other things, Paul Brettel, uh, joining us on this week's edition of the Cold Brew Podcast. A lot to discuss this week. Uh, the brewers were eliminated in the wild card round of the National League playoffs in two games, uh, losing uh, both to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So their season is over. The offseason has begun. And a lot of question marks um, after a, a struggling season for the Brewers and, you know, some turnover with the roster coming into this this next offseason. Uh, so a lot to discuss, a lot to talk about. Uh, Paul, Matt, um, great to have you have you with us. And uh, Paul, I'm just going to start with you. Um, heading into that uh, series against the Dodgers, the chances were really kind of tough to begin with. Um, and it, it really just it got off to a poor start there in game one uh, with Brent Suter really just kind of collapsing out of the gate. Uh, when, when you just kind of watched that that first inning unfold there for Suter, what was going through your head? Uh, I probably can't say on here what was going through my head, <laughs> but Fair enough. I mean, I mean, it was just kind of what we had seen all season. I mean, not that kind of necessary implosion from Suter, but I mean, in general, the offense uh, just falling behind and against a team like the Dodgers, at least my expectations were if they're going to pull one out against them. I mean, they got, I, I envisioned them getting up early and then have relying on that pitching staff, which has been pretty good all season to kind of carry them the rest of the way. But this offense has been so stagnant for the most part that even a two, three run deficit, which is weird to say, seems insurmountable at times. Because I remember the last two years, they would fall behind early if they did on when they did. And it was just like, oh, they'll figure it out. The bats will get going. But you just didn't have that expectation this year at all. So when they fell behind right away, uh, to LA, of course, I was pessimistic and had my doubts. And in the end, they lost. But I mean, credit to them. Uh, Arcia, after the Daniel Vogelbach double, Arcia hit the homer to make it a, a close game within one. And then um, excellent outings from Yardley and Topa uh, to come in and just give them that fighting chance into the seventh, eighth, ninth inning where they still had a chance to pull out a victory. But I mean, through the first inning, you just don't expect that from Suter. And I mean, like the, it's been said a number of times, his he walked five batters through the first and second inning before he was pulled. And that's the number he walked all season. So just disappointing. And I, it was hard to, like I said, hard to envision them finding a way to win, just given how bad the bats had been. Yeah, I mean, starting with Suter, that was the right move. You know, he had good starts that. during no. the regular season. And he just, you know, he didn't have it that day. And as for the offense, it was definitely shades of Denny Green. They were who we thought they were. <laughs> we, they had the potential based off a couple, you know, blowout games, a stretch where they scored four more runs for, uh, I think it was five straight games there in September, but it just never materialized in the playoffs. Hey, you know, at least we didn't go scoreless like the Reds did. We scored more runs sure. in our series than the Cubs did. They only scored one, um, but we were a poor hitting team during the regular season for average. We didn't score a lot of runs during the regular season for average. The Dodgers were good all around. 
They had good starting pitching. They had good bullpen. They had good offense. The fact that we kept it as close as we did is kind of like Paul was alluding to, is a testament to the bullpen. Uh, Rasmussen also put up a scoreless inning. Hauser and Hader went scoreless the next game. They kept us in the games. They gave the offense every opportunity to just squeak something out, and it just wasn't to be this year. Not surprising based off of how the regular season went, but obviously we all had hopes that it would uh, turn out a little differently. I think that series was a good microcosm of kind of the Brewers season in general. Bat struggled, bullpen kept a minute, and you got some nice innings from Woodruff. Yeah, (laughs) and watching that game really just kind of, you know, make someone want to do that. Just just crack open a couple of beers, you know. Because, I mean, really, like, you know, you go through that that first inning, that first game, and, you know, Suter, Suter was the right call, I think, to go with it with how he pitched. But you could tell, like, I think the the size of the game got to him. He did not look comfortable out there. He was he was jittery. He, he was nervous. And. You know, it, it was getting to his head like like you could just tell just kind of by looking at him like, you know, it's a big moment. He's thinking super hard about how he's got to throw strikes. And when you're thinking super hard about how you have to throw strikes, you end up being completely wild and losing all control. Like that, that's just how it ends up going out there. He tried to settle himself down. He really wasn't able to do it. And it, it just kind of spiraled out of control on him like like an absolute nightmare. Like he he probably tried to sleep that night and and dreamt that he was out there pitching in his underwear. Like it, it, was, it was that kind of a game, like like he he's just out there and I mean you could tell he kind of lost it. I I felt so bad for him watching him out there. Absolutely. Um, because you knew like once you lose it like that, there's really kind of no way to regain it out there on the mound. You you got to come into the dugout and really kind of settle yourself down and get back into it. And you know by the time he was able to do that, a couple of runs were already on the board. And then he goes out in the second inning, gives up gives up another run. And by that point, counsel team enough. And then, you know, in comes Yardley and Yardley didn't did an incredible job. Um, and, and then, yeah, Topa did an incredible job as well. Um, you know, that that bullpen really was kind of the strength. And I think, yeah, the, the Milwaukee Baseball Writers Association chose Yardley as the team's unsung hero uh, this year, um, which I mean, really, like you look at the numbers, he had a sub two ERA on the season. Um, and it really just kind of went overlooked because he's not one of the guys back there that that chucks 95 to 100 miles an hour. I mean, he he comes in there at, at about solid 86 from the sidewinder, and he got the same kind of results that um, guys like you know Josh Hader were putting up. Yeah, I, I think that's an absolutely deserved reward for him. He's not one of the guys who's going to blow you away. He's not the guy necessarily who's going to show up on pitching ninja every single night like Devin Williams and Josh Hader and whatnot but he did his job he absolutely did and for yes he's old he's uh 30 but he's a rookie this year he did a great job for someone who was still in rookie status and was in a tough spot coming in in the middle of game one of the playoffs I mean credit to him for doing that um just one more just note about Suter. I think those first couple of batters when he started getting squeezed a little bit in the strike zone definitely did not help. 
You know, they went all season with the strike zone being a supposedly wide strike zone. And then all of a sudden, these first couple batters, he's throwing pitches that are relatively close, um, but not getting the calls. And we all know that Suter isn't the type of guy who blows you away. He's a finesse pitcher, and he needs to be able to get those calls. After those two batters, he was, wasn't was anywhere close to the strike zone. But I think I don't think that helped a little uh, in his case at all, and then kind of started that real quick spiral. Yeah, 100%. I think you hit a good point there on the um, just missing, because it spiraled out of control, as we said, but early on in that inning, like you said, he was, he was close to on the edges there, and if a few of those calls go his way, does it does the outcome for him end up a little bit better? And I also just want to say the fact that they only gave that he only gave up what was it the two three runs given how just yeah. bleak things looked at times with him missing the strike zone, um, the Mookie bets double to start it off, the walks bases loaded. I mean, obviously, like I said, I didn't want them to be trailing because I doubted that they could have that ability to come back, especially against the Dodgers team. But leaving the first inning down the the three nothing, I was like, okay, that's at least salvageable. And they proved that they could at least get back into it with the Arcia home run as well. Yeah, and, and Arcia ends up, you know, extending his uh, postseason hit streak. I think it was to like ten games um, before he went hitless in game <laughs> two. But yeah, I mean, Arcia, he is. Orlando Arcia is tied for the most postseason home runs in Brewers franchise history. Orlando <laughs> Arcia, Ryan Braun's not even on the list. I, I would not have expected that. Like they showed, I think it was, um, was, was it Molitor? I think it was tied with or Thank Fielder. Fe- yep. Yeah, Fielder, like Fielder, Molitor, and I think like Gorman Thomas was like the other one. It's like Ryan Braun isn't even up there. And Ryan Braun, he started game one. Um, and then he left in the middle of it with, you know, more back issues. And I think it was also an oblique uh, was completely unavailable for game two. And that possibly could have been the, the last we've seen of Ryan Braun. And, you know, his his contract is up uh, at the end of the year and he is contemplating retirement. Um, Brewers have said they expect a decision from him by around New Year's. Um, so they're going to have to you know decline the, the current contract option and give him the four million dollar buyout um by the time that's up but his contract situation is going to be really kind of a a huge key for the brewers offseason because a lot is going to depend on what happens with that and we we still don't know if the designated hitter is going to be back next year and i feel like you know that could also play a huge role because if the designated hitter is gone i feel like braun's going to have to retire because i i just don't think he's going to be able to play enough in the field um, where it makes it worth it for him to come back if there's no DH. And, you know, it, it's something where it, it's really going to change a lot of what the Brewers do. If the, if the Brewers want to go get another outfielder, if the Brewers want to, you know, get someone for, for first base or, you know, whatever it is, um, his decision's going to change a lot about what they do. So, um it's really kind of up in the air. No one really knows, but we're going to take a guess at it anyways. Paul, do you think Ryan Braun returns for 2021? Man, this is a tough one. There's obviously the emotional side of me that just loves Ryan Braun, and I hope and I hope he's back. I love watching him play. and I mean, he still showed this year that he can have those big moments. I yeah. believe his, his team option this year is $15 million, so the Brewers are going to decline that. Um, the hope is that he'd obviously sign on another one-year deal, but I think the DH is going to be the biggest factor. I think he hit the nail on the head there. 
Um, but I will say at the start of the season and even into July, I was like, all right, the Brewers are going to decline his team option. They'll work something out. He'll come back on a one-year deal, go from there, see how next season goes. And that's what I thought through most of summer. But once we got to September and that those back spasms started creeping in more, and then the way that the the wild card round ended with him having to leave in game one, I don't feel nearly as confident as I did before. I wonder if that was, you know, him maybe seeing that the writing's on the wall with his injuries. And I know that it came from him playing in the field. So like we said, the DH is going to help that. But my confidence in him deciding to return is a lot lower than what it was. However, this this team has shown that they can, you know, David Stearns says he wants to build a consistent contender, and that's what they've done. Three straight postseason appearances, missed the playoffs by a game in 2017. And I think that that'll be enough as long as the DH is there that he'll he'll come back. That's my kind of guess. <laughs> yeah, that Instagram post from his wife that you shared on the account, David, sure doesn't seem encouraging either, does it? Yeah. Um, so Ryan Braun this year with all the injuries, he ended up playing in 39 games. Uh, that would equate in a 162 game season to 105 games played. That's obviously taking into account that 162 is more of a grind, could end up resulting in even more games missed, but that's essentially what it equates to. His um, option to buy him out, I believe, is $5 million. Four. Is correct? Four, four million. Four million. So four million plus, essentially, you're counting whatever you potentially bring him back for if you can rework him on a new contract, is essentially what you're paying Ryan Braun to hopefully pay play 105 games. So is that financially worth it when, based off of some of Stern's comments, they will likely be at or below the payroll that they were originally going to go into this season with? Is that really a way to maximize, you know, get your bang for your buck in every little bit of payroll dollar? Um, I as those injuries really started to pile up towards the end, I was really starting to doubt that he's going to come back next year. Yes, the DH will definitely play a factor into it, but I do not. I I honestly, I would put his odds at returning at all below 50%. It just, that's my gut feeling to it. I think he's, he's earned his nice retirement. He's had a heck of a career. Uh, but it's really starting to catch up to him. And if he couldn't make it through a 60-game season playing more than two-thirds of the games, how is a 162-game season going to go for him? So I am definitely leaning towards him retiring. Another good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you raise a lot of good points there, Matt. Um, and I, I think also just kind of to add on to, like, you know, the value of, like, like what he brings to the bank for his buck, I mean – there's also more value to having Braun on on this Brewers team than just him being in the field. I mean, I mean, he's a leader in that clubhouse. You know, he's been a great guy for you know all the rookies coming up um, and helping that team. And you know, yeah, he's going to cl- come up in clutch spots from time to time. Um, he's clearly not the player that he once was. He's not an everyday guy anymore. Um, he he needs you know regular rest. You know, maybe one game on, two games off, almost um for 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 injury maintenance um but you know 
my my thoughts on on trying to like see if he's going to come back is just kind of the competitive spirit that, that Braun has because because you know Braun's a super competitive guy. Um, I, I think he's going to want to, you know, at least I think there's a chance that he's going to want to, you know, kind of end things kind of the right way to, you know, come back and, um, you know, have kind of a, a farewell tour with with Milwaukee at least have some fans send him off, um, and you know give one more push to. Um, you know, make it to make it to the World Series. I mean, that, that's something he's played 14 years, never quite gotten to the World Series. You know, he's gotten to the Bruce of the postseason five times, but they've never made it quite that far. Um, so I think that's something where he might want to um, make one more push for that. And, you know, maybe it's like he wants to go out on his own terms. You know, that, that could be it as well. Just trying to, you know, walk off the field on his own. Um, but unfortunately the, the game doesn't always work that way. You know, the, the game of baseball tells you when you're done more often than, than you tell the game when you're done. So that, that's really kind of, um, another issue that he might run into and the game of baseball may be telling them, you know, you're not able to go out there for game two. Like you, these back spasms keep on, keep on popping up. Um, you know, the, the game may be telling him that he's done. I mean, and he's got a newborn at home. Um, his, his wife, Larissa, just had their third child. Um, so, I mean, he spends a couple months at home hanging out with his kids. Um, you know, it, it's going to be tough to to convince him to, to come back, try and play a 162-game season, put his body through the ringer another time. Um, you know, and, and it's going to be tough to, to see that. So, I don't know. Like you guys, I'm, I might be – leaning a bit more towards he retires more than I did a month or two ago. Yeah. And let's take into account also, there's always the overhanging, you know, cloud of COVID where does COVID at this point next year. Um, If it's still in a bad spot, you have that to add to Braun's decision with regards to his family. That's just an unknown. We, you know, he'll, decision at some point but if things haven't improved much you know maybe that sways his decision a little bit yeah either way it's going to be a bummer i mean not either way if he decides to retire it's going to be a bummer braun's been up with the brewers for about half my life so (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna miss him when that day comes and like i said when i was given um my little rant i I definitely some emotion playing into it i hope that i hope that he's back but matt you brought up some brought up some great points especially with breaking down the games and how many that would have been in a in a full season? So I you just dated me a little bit with that half my life oh. <laughs> comment. <laughs> I, said, I, well, I won't hold I'm it on the other you. side. <laughs> yeah, and then I mean Braun. Braun is like so like he's like just shy of like a couple of big milestones. He he's at 1,963 career hits. He he's 37 hits shy of 2,000 for his career. Um, and obviously if it was 162 game season this year, he probably would have been able to reach that. He just barely reached 350 career home runs. Um, you know, maybe he wants to, you know, make that sort of push, but you know, yeah, there's a lot of factors for him to consider. And then, you know, for the Brewers wanting to bring him back, you know, like you also mentioned, Matt, um, the the payroll and and with that being a little bit tighter and if they got to pay him three, four, five million dollars, um, is it going to be worth it for him? I mean, it's going to be about $15 million less than what they were paying him this past year. So they got, so 
they got about you know fifteen million dollars more room um, just with Braun coming down from that and saying he signs a, a three million dollar four million dollar deal. They they got an extra fourteen fifteen million dollars um, from this year's payroll to next. Then you got to take into account Brandon Woodruff is entering his first year of arbitration. Uh, Orlando Arcia is going to be entering in another year of arbitration. Corey Knable is already at five million. He's going to be in his final year of arbitration. Um, I mean, they're going to have uh, a couple of raises to to put out there in, in arbitration. Josh Hader is going to go up um, once again in arbitration. So when you look at those raises that the Brewers are going to have to pay out, you know, it, it may be tough to kind of see where they can make other additions uh, around the roster, and, and they may have to make some more subtractions. I mean, Brett Anderson is going to be a free agent. Um, Eric Sogard is probably unlikely to have his $4.5 million option picked up. Um, I think Jerko is going to come back. Um, but if your two big guys leaving are Anderson and Sogard, that, that's only another just under $10 million in, in extra payroll. Um, so that they don't have that much wiggle room, um, regardless if, if the budget is, is coming down next year. Yeah, and uh, we also don't know what the spending is going to be like this offseason either. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of revenue lost from teams without fans in the stands, so we don't know how that's necessarily gonna, going to play out. And you mentioned a lot of <laughs> a lot of players who are are going to be due higher salaries this year in arbitration. But also, I mean, that we saw it all season. There needs to be some retooling as well. It's not just figuring out how to, you know, fit in Woodruff, Arcia, haters, and all those guys um, increase salaries. I mean, a lot of, and Stearns admitted it, a lot of the signings that they made didn't, didn't pan out at all. And so now it's going out and, you know, replacing the, the Sogard, you know, maybe the Omar Narvaez, um, you know, the guys like that, Justin Smoke, Brock Holtz, all the guys that they brought in initially or along the way and figuring out how to give this offense a boost because that's what they need. If you I look at the pitching side, I mean, the bullpen, I went into this season with my questions about the depth of the bullpen, but, I mean, completely wrong. You got Hater. <laughs> this isn't a, you know, I don't don't think this was a fair year to judge Knable's return from um, Tommy John surgery. Devin Williams, Rasmussen, Yardley, Topa. I mean, they got a they got some horses in the pen. And then when you're starting rotation, I think they'll have to potentially figure out the back end a little. But when you're leading off with Burns and Woodruff, you know, put them in whatever order you want to put them in. I mean, gosh, that's a heck of a duo to start with. So you have Yelich, you expect them to bounce back. You have Hira, you expect them to bounce back. So the foundation is there. It's just getting those contributors, um, which is a big going to be a big part of this offseason. And how they're going to go about spending or what spending is going to look like, I, I don't, I'm not sure that any of us know at this point. Yeah, and, and one thing, I don't want to, I don't mean to cut you off there, Matt, but like, like you're going off, Paul, um, about, you know, just kind of retooling parts of the roster, but the core is there. This past week, remember uh, Brew Crew Ball on Twitter was talking about how, oh, you know, maybe the Brewers, you know, contention window is over. Um, you know, maybe they, they maybe they should trade off Woodruff and Burns and, and get some bats. You know, this might make some sense. And I'm looking at it like, are you kidding me? Like you have two homegrown aces for like legitimate aces for cheap for the next several years. You have a fantastic core under control for several years. And you're thinking of trading them for a couple of bats. 
I mean, that was the most asinine thing I, I think I've seen on Twitter in, in a very, very long time. Yeah, the whole premise of that supposed argument was that the Brewers were able to develop Burns and Woodruff, so why not gamble on the fact that they could develop some of these other guys that they have down there? But that the key word in that is develop. Woodruff and Burns didn't just pop up overnight to be good this season. Woodruff has been up for a few years. Burns was good in 2018. Yes, he took the step back last year, but uh, w- returned to be a dang near Cy Young contender this year. You get rid of them, and I think they threw a possibly Freddie Peralta-type person in there, too. How, how long is it before some of those guys, none of those minor league pitchers are ready to just step in and be a starter, let alone three of them? I mean, you yeah. do that, and you're setting yourself back, and then you're then what was the point even of going and getting those hitters? So, no, you have your pitchers now that you have developed and are ready now and are cheap. Yes, Woodruff is probably going to get an arbitration raise, but he's not going to be making, you know, a, obviously a $15, $20 million uh, contract that right. Power's about to get, for example. Um, no, you keep them there as your base. The, that whole pitching staff is a good base right now. I mean, really, you could go into next year, like Paul was saying, you've got Woodruff and Burns as your top two. Lindblom is going to factor in there somewhere as well. But maybe you get Hauser back down in that pitching lab to kind of figure out where he went south this year. Maybe you get Lauer down there, too, to tinker around and show why he was looking good at the beginning of the season. Maybe Peralta ends up in the rotation. You might actually have a rotation to compete with next year on top of the bullpen. So, no, just throw your off-season resources into the offense, which is the one area that we suffered. Stearns has been able to add to the offense in prior off-seasons. His strategy last off-season didn't work, so don't do that one again. But he can get it done. We just, you know, have to let him do it in the right way this time. And you have to wonder, too, what... How much of a role just this odd season played into all this? I mean, I think kind of the approach was let's get a bunch of these guys in. We'll see who sticks. And, you know, basically it was Jerko and then at the end Daniel Vogelbach. But you also don't expect Yelich, you know, to be batting, you know, just over 200, 210, whatever he was at, or Hira as well. I mean, Braun didn't have his best season by any means either. So, I mean, the horses that you're relying on, even if you don't expect, you know, Yelich to be – you know, MVP, you also don't expect him to be on the opposite end of that spectrum either. So, I mean, if those guys are playing better, and even if the signings from last year don't pan out as they did, maybe instead of 29 and 31, you know, maybe it's 31 and 29, and there's a little bit different of an outlook heading into the offseason just because they're over 500. Yeah, and it really kind of, um, just kind of a, a general rule for baseball, Great pitching is much more difficult to find than great hitting. Like you can find a, a 270, 280, 300 hitter a lot more easily than you can find a number one or a number two starter. You know, so so trading those guys for one or two, you know, 280, 300 hitters makes no logical sense from from a GM perspective. Um, and I mean, dealing those two guys, like I don't think you could get anywhere near the value that those two guys have back in a trade. Like, like there's no way you could actually get comparable value for what Burns could be for the next 
for what four or five years um, for very cheap. Like e- even arbitration, it's arbitration's not going to get Corbin Burns up to twenty million dollars a year. And even if it does, it wouldn't be until his final year of arbitration. Arbitration is not going to get Brandon Woodruff up to $20 million a year. So getting those guys now and having them young is just, it's so important for them to have. And you can go out there and you can find um, some decent hitters. And I mean, we thought they did so with, with Omar Narvaez. I mean, for the past three years, for the past four years, Omar Narvaez has been a 270, 280 hitter consistently across the board. He's hit 270 something for the past three years. And he comes in and he's hitting 170. It, it like it's it's just part of the oddities of the season. Like no one could expect that Omar Narvaez would completely forget how to hit uh, coming into 2020. Um, and then Stearns at, at his uh, end of season press conference, he talked about Narvaez and you know he said that they're going to have to you know take a look at the position and you know you know try to evaluate and and he didn't commit to Omar Narvaez having a job in Milwaukee in 2021. Um, and I mean, there's actually pretty decent catching class in free agency this year. JT real Muto is going to be a free agent. I think he's going to be priced too far out of the Brewers range, but James McCann is also going to be a free agent. And he just got his job stolen by Yasmani Grandal, who signed a four-year deal with the White Sox last winter. So he's going to be on the market. He's been a really good hitter the past couple of years. You know, could could the Brewers look there? Could the Omar Narvaez era be over uh, before it really got a chance to start? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's completely unheard of for that to happen. The Brewers didn't give up that much for Narvaez. It was Adam Hill, who was a kind of lower level prospect, essentially, for him. So you could cut bait and not feel terribly bad about it. The Brewers have catching prospects who are getting close to the majors. They would have been even closer this year with an actual minor league season. But, you know, they have Feliciano and they have Peyton Henry as a couple of their top prospects. And they could look just look for something to essentially bridge the gap until those two are ready. Um, some combination of like a McCann, a Pena, don't forget, he'll be back, uh, theoretically. Um, and Nottingham, you know, maybe there's a little something there. He did finish the season under 200 for as much credit as we were giving him there towards the end. It just so happened that every time he was getting hits, he was hitting homers. Hmm. Um, but with Narvaez, I, you know, when you look at his stat cast, I, I'm curious if they missed a little something with him because yes, he has had like his weighted runs created plus over the last two years was pretty equivalent to what Yasmani Grandal put up in his one year in Milwaukee. But Last year, Omar Narvaez had a bottom 10% exit velocity and a bottom 10% hard hit percentage. This year, he had a bottom 2% hard hit percentage. Um, His exit velocity, it doesn't say what percentage it was in, but it was only 81.6 miles an hour, which is not good. So I'm, I don't know. I like, I, part of me wonders if they missed the analytics on this guy and he's just not white ever going to turn out to be that guy i mean i could be totally wrong on that one but it wouldn't surprise me if they decided to just you know do a non-tender and move on from him yeah i think that's certainly in play and i think one thing that we've learned throughout the stearns era here is that we don't really know what the hell he's gonna do i mean (laughs) 
I mean, really, there was the Yelich trade, signing Kane. Next offseason, he signs uh, Moustakas and Grandal in free agency. This past offseason, he decides to go in kind of the opposite direction where brings in some um, bounce-back candidates on team-friendly deals. Hope, you know, going more for the shotgun approach, hoping a few few can stick. And like I said earlier, we don't know what's gonna how the money is going to work out this offseason either. But he's... I mean, he's a little bit volatile, or maybe that's the wrong word, but unpredictable in that in in that regard. And we just, he, at least me, anyways, always seem to come away a little bit surprised after the off season how the Brewers maneuvered their way through it. You know, and he's also to the point now where he's not afraid to admit a mistake. Here, he admitted that Jonathan Scope last year maybe wasn't the best idea, or um, two years ago. I'm sorry. Um, he cut bait quickly on Holt and Smoke. This year, although he didn't really have much of a choice other than to do that. And he was open and honest about the fact that, you know, not necessarily all of his offseason moves this year worked out. So I could absolutely see him going into this offseason with a couple of these players saying, hey, you know what? My bad. You know, it's we've got to find someone else who's going to be a little bit more reliable next year. Yeah, fans don't realize it, but that's a hard job, and GMs are gonna miss on players. But he's built up enough equity over the over his mm-hmm. tenure here to where he can he should be afforded that. Hey, I'm whiffed. Here's what we're gonna do. Yeah, and, and that's something that you almost never hear from any other GM. Like, would would you ever hear from Ted Thompson? Yeah, I totally whiffed on that draft pick. You know, never. You know, you're not going to hear that from, you know, many other GMs that, that make bad trades or bad signings, you know, whether in baseball and football or wherever. You know, they're not going to be like, yeah, I really goofed that one. You know, Stearns is kind of rare in, in that regard. And, you know, I remember, um, you know, it, it's just kind of, you know, see, like seeing just kind of like how he uh, like maneuvers through all that and, you know, just kind of like not taking like any of the heat personally and just kind of, you know, looking at it's like, even if I put like a punch into acquiring this player and they didn't work out, I'm not going to hold on to them and, and just, you know, just try and prove myself right, you know, by, by bringing them back for another year. He's, he's willing to just kind of cut bait, be like, all right, that move didn't work out my bad and let's move on to the next thing. So, you know, huge I, credit to him for that. And, you know, now he's going to, you know, just go through a, another offseason and try and find um, something to really kind of make it work. And, you know, I, I think that Narvaez is just kind of, you know, uh, Narvaez and, and really kind of a lot of the other signings, they're, I think they're trying to still determine whether it's because these players were just straight up not good and they completely missed on them or the fact that the oddities of the 2020 season stop starting and then stopping and then starting again, not having any fans, you know, I wonder how much all of that really kind of played a factor. And I, I think the Bruce front office still doesn't know how much that played a factor. And they're trying to figure that out before they determine, should we non tender this guy or should we fire this coach or should we do whatever? Yeah, I think a big part of it is it's process over results. And we've seen that the David Stearns process with, you know, he sticks to, you know, he has his dollar amount for a player in free agency. He sticks to that amount, the the analytics, the projecting that they do for how a player is going to perform in the future, what they've done in the past. You know, they've we've seen that that process works. Now, the results aren't always going to bear that. And we saw that this year. 
but it's process over results. And like I said before, he's earned that, that equity to, you know, have these mistakes. Yeah. I, th- I think um, one thing that I'm really kind of looking at um, with this off season, and this has been speculated for probably a year or two is Josh Hader. Um, we had uh, Robert Murray, friend of the podcast on a couple of weeks ago after the trade deadline. Uh, he was talking about how, uh, he believes that it's most likely that Josh Hader will end up getting traded before he reaches free agency with the Brewers. Um, somewhere within these next couple of years, he believes Josh Hader will be traded. And, and I think, and um, if I recall correctly, I think he also thinks that this offseason could be a, you know, a prime opportunity for the Brewers to trade Josh Hader. And I mean, you, you look at the payroll situation. I mean, his salary is going to be going up in arbitration. They may want to send him out before it gets to before he takes up too much of the payroll, get a couple of hitters and maybe another pitcher or something in return um, so that they can help out the offense. They're dealing from a position of strength in the bullpen because they have Devin Williams back there who can close. You got Rasmussen, you got Topa, you got Yardley. Uh, they got a lot of guys back there that can really perform and, and, and play well in the, in the late innings. And obviously you're going to have Knable another year removed from Tommy John surgery. Um, so I think this could be a really prime opportunity for the Brewers to deal hater. They have a position of strength out there in the bullpen. They have guys who can cover the ninth inning, eighth and ninth inning without them. Um, and they can get the bats that they need and they can get the payroll relief that they kind of need before hater becomes too expensive or becomes kind of too explosive, um, you know, like out of the bullpen and he has kind of more struggles, you know, whatever it is. Um, and it's just kind of a matter of, of finding a team that will meet that price. But, I don't know about you guys, but I, I think it's actually fairly likely, um, maybe, maybe not totally likely, maybe around like slightly over 50% um, that the Brewers trade Josh Hader this winter. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, he's the one guy that really makes sense right now, right? I, you've got other guys kind of on those short contracts. You don't, the Brewers continue to have one of the lower ranked minor league systems in the league. So it's not like you have a bunch of prospect depth to deal from. And again, that bullpen proved that they're going to be good next year. I don't think we even brought up Justin Topa again. He came out of nowhere. And there's also guys, remember Bobby Wall? He had a lot of promise coming into this year after he was injured all of last year. Um, didn't quite show it at the beginning and got hurt again, but that's always a potential arm right there. Uh, Angel Perdomo looked good in spring training, didn't have it during the season, but you never know. That's a guy who could bounce back. There's a lot of arms there. And I'm also interested to see really what happens with arbitration this offseason, because you're not working off an entire 162 game sample size. So, is that going to lead to slightly lower arbitration raises or not? In Hader's case, they talked last year when he lost his arbitration case that a lot of the conversation around that ended up getting caught up in his saves total. Well, he ended up leading the National League in saves this year. So does that end up actually balancing out and giving him a little bit more of a raise? So you're right. Eventually, his price tag is going to catch up to him. Do you do it now? Do you wait another year do you not want to risk that in case he ends up blowing up his era did raise a little bit this year it was the first time it was up in the threes but also that was essentially because of 
one bad outing and in such a short season, one bad outing will inflate it. I don't know. I, I absolutely agree that he is a very likely trade candidate, but there are a lot of factors that go into uh, his status. Yeah, the, the, I agree with you. I think the so for me, the thought of him being traded this offseason has changed as the season went on, um, much like my thoughts on Braun have as well. As I said earlier, had my doubts about the overall bullpen depth, but I mean, we've listed off the guys already that have stepped up this year. And it's not like if he was gone, they would be putting in someone. It's like, oh, he's solid. It's oh, no, we're putting in the nastiest change up in baseball to take his spot. Like they don't just have you know, a guy to step in and be like, oh, he'll be solid. It's like, no, Devin Williams was, he was fantastic. He's this a dude. Season. He's not a That's, guy. He's a dude. He's a, <laughs> he's a dude and he's a fantastic dude. So, I mean, they would be having someone in that ninth inning who is, David said, he's a dude. And they have, they've shown that they have good depth there. So they could absolutely handle trading Hater and not to say that, you know, taking Hater away, they wouldn't notice it but they could handle that loss. And we've talked about it already, just the the money this offseason. We don't know what's going to be used to out there in free agency. So in terms of acquiring some high-end talent, I mean, that's that's going might be the most cost-effective way for them to do so. I, I do agree that I don't see him hitting free agency as a brewer. He's going to be dealt at some time, and I still think Stearns is going to keep that, you know, lofty price tag for him, as he should. But I think it's certainly a possibility that it could be could be this winter. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I mean, he shouldn't have to lower the price tag at all. And I mean, well, what's going to be tough is if he's trying to deal for prospects. A lot of those prospects, no one really got looks at this year because, you know, there was no minor league season. A lot of teams kind of weren't sharing alternate training site information. Um, so it's really kind of tough to gauge where some of those prospects were and Especially for those top guys, if you don't have much recent on them, it's hard to justify trading um, for them and, and you know giving up such an important major league player. Um, but yeah, that, that price tag is still going to be up there, and it's a matter of if someone will meet it. Um, and, and that's really, really just kind of the thing. I don't think there's going to be too many outgoing calls from the Brewers on, on Josh Hader. I think there's going to be a lot of incoming ones, um, and it's just a matter of you know will another team be willing to pay the price for him. And if a team is, I, I think David Stearns is, is going to, to listen and, you know, he's going to work to, to see if a deal can happen. And, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be prevented from pulling the trigger. Um, if a team meets his price, if a team meets it, I, I think he'll go with it. So, you know, I, I really, you know, I think there's a really good chance that he ends up getting Delta Saucy's and there, there's a lot of interest in him um, at the deadline. So I, I think there's going to end up being a lot more interest this off season. And, you know, if, if a team meets it and I think with, you know, now that another year has kind of gone away of control for him, um, I, I think there's going to be a team more willing to to meet the price. Yeah, keep in mind, too, he's a little bit different of a pitcher this year. You know, he started relying on that slider a little bit more. He started working in the offseason a little bit more with that changeup. He didn't really use it a ton during the regular season, but that could be a matter of him just, you know, getting more used to it. That could be being a more complete pitcher could be a little bit more tantalizing for another team. Make them uh, 
put forth a little bit more effort in acquiring him than maybe they would have before this season. I know that's something before the trade deadline when those rumors were coming up that um, I think it was Milwaukee Journal Sentinel or somewhere like that, that um, that's what the Brewers were you know, selling to other teams as well. Look at the slider that he's got now in addition to the fastball. Yeah, and I mean, when he's got, you know, kind of more of the complete package, um, you know, he really wasn't used in, in multi-inning appearances this year, which I thought was kind of weird. Because, um, you know, he's previously been, you know, kind of a two-inning guy and, you know, sometimes has, has even gone three innings. But the Brewers were super careful with, with him doing that. Um, they didn't really kind of push him to, to go more than one inning uh, on most occasions. And even then, it was only, you know, one or two outs. Um he, he never really had, I don't think he had a single two full inning appearance all season. Um, they did that a couple of times with Devin Williams towards the end of the year, but not really so much with, with Hader. And, you know, whether that was because of worry for injury or, you know, whatever it was, it, it was just kind of an, an odd change, in my opinion. Maybe they're just trying to protect him um, so that, you know, they, they can hold his value high still when it comes to the offseason. Um, just and just kind of blame like, oh, yeah, we didn't want to, you know, push too much because of the shortened season and shortened training camp and whatever else. But it was it was interesting to me how they only went with one inning appearances for Hader, a, a huge change from the past couple of years. I feel like with his value, it's one of those things where, you know, we're probably at its peak right now, but it could be a very sudden drop. You know, that fastball dips a few miles yeah. per hour. And, you know, is already a little bit lower this season, I believe. You know, it's one of those things where it's a very fine line between, all right, we're going to maximize our value with him, and, oh, we missed that opportunity. Yeah, especially with relievers. Exactly. I mean, yeah, so, sorry, man, go, go ahead. Don't, don't want to cut you off there. No, just exactly what you were going to say. That's always the risk with relievers, so that's even more of a reason to – you know, sell high on him right now. And that whole, the whole aspect of the fact that he used to go through those multi-inning outings, that's just another selling point. He he can do that if that's the role you want to put him in. He doesn't have to be a closer. He can be, remember 2018, he was that stopper. Yeah, he got saves that year, but his highest value was coming in in the 7th, 8th, sometimes the 6th when the middle of that other team's order was coming up and just saying, you know what, here you go, deal with Josh Hader and let's see how that works out for you. And he was successful more often than not. So he is a multi-talented tool for a number of teams and the type of reliever spot that they're trying to fill. Yeah, and as we've as we've said you know, before, David Stearns is not an idiot. You know, he, he knows that, the you know that relievers in this league their value is is incredibly volatile like everything can really change from year to year with, with relievers it, it's not there's not that much consistency um in, in terms of value in terms of production um at that position anymore so you know with the value being as high as it is if he can find someone you know that will pay you know the price that he has on them that that will pay market value I think Stearns is, is going to take it. You know, it, it's just, it just makes kind of too much sense not to, you know, especially given, you know, the, the volatility of relievers, the the payroll situation with, with Hader and arbitration, 
and you know just kind of the years of control that, that he has left and, and the team needs that he has um that, that's really kind of his best trade chip and if he can get you know maybe a starting third baseman or something and you know another pitcher or two um and, and get kind of some some good players that can help out the big league team right away and maybe another one or two uh, minor league guys I, I think that's a deal he's got to take if it presents itself yeah, of course, it's, yeah, it's really kind of hard for me to, to gauge like what a prospect return for him would be. I tried doing it last winter. It went horribly. I'm not <laughs> doing it again. <laughs> it was so bad. I'm I am. I, I think he's going to end up getting traded, but I am not going to put forth any sort of trade proposals on the site because I have well, learned my lesson from that one. Not doing that our gosh hater. <laughs> Come on, double down on it. Uh, no, no. That, <laughs> the Corbin uh, Burns it, resurgent doesn't have you feeling feeling confident. Oh, it a Burns resurgent. Okay, let's talk Corbin Burns. All right, we're we're finally into my favorite subject. We can t- we can talk about Corbin Burns all day long. Um, but yeah, so Corbin Burns, I just did um his season report card on the site today. Um, unsurprisingly, um. I don't want to spoil it too much for you, but he got an A+. Um, incredible season from Burns. Um, ended up being a Cy Young candidate. hes I don't think he's going to end up winning. He fell an out shy of, of qualifying for the uh, leader for the league leaderboards. Uh, but, I mean, he was top 10 in a whole bunch of, of uh, categories uh, among pitchers and really a, a huge turnaround for, for himself. And I mean, this really kind of sets up the Brewers so well going forward. As we talked about earlier, you know, with Burns and Woodruff one, two in the rotation, I mean, that's kind of a really great setup to have. And finding those those number one, number two guys are extremely difficult. Finding your three, four, and five starters, that's a little bit easier to do. So now the Brewers just kind of have to fill out the rest of that rotation. And they got their one and their one and two guys set with with how Burns uh, established himself this year and with how Woodruff continued to pitch well. Yeah, I love to hear it. That is David on the Corbin Burns hype train as Choo-choo. loud as ever. Last year, <laughs> so many people, basically everyone hopped off that train, and yet there was David still chugging along down the tracks, leading the way, and now everyone's hopping back on. It's, that's a sweet feeling, isn't it, David? In the words of Green Day, I walked the lonely road. The only road I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It was lonely there for a while. And, and even Sparky, um, you know, another friend of the podcast, um, came on. He's like, come on. No one, no one was expecting a signing performance from Corbin Burns. I'm like, well, actually, uh, I was. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like I, I've been on that train for, for a while and – you know, he, he's not going to win it this year, in my opinion, but he's going to get votes. Um, he, he's going to be um, somewhere on there. And it's just it's really great to see for him. It's great to see for myself. But um, really, more importantly, it's great to see for the Brewers that, you know, their pitching development has has come around in a way that they have now developed two guys at pretty much the same time that are essentially number one type starters. We, we've seen many other managers like across the national league, across baseball that have looked at Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. And they're like, that dude is an ace. That dude is a number one. Like he's got the stuff. He's got it. 
And I mean, the hitters were raving about him all, all summer camp, all season. Um, and the rest of the league is taking notice as well. Yeah, yeah. and not, not just those two. I mean, we've got Freddie Peralta that we've developed up into a pitcher. We didn't draft him, but we you know, did a majority of his development lately. Devin Williams, there's another example. Um, that's why you know, it's encouraging that the Brewers should hopefully have solid pitching going forward and just goes back to, you know, improve the offense and there's a good chance that the pitching will be able to continue picking them up. Yeah, I was going to mention Freddie Peralta as well. I mean, he's got to nail down some more consistency, but when Freddie Peralta's on, I mean, he's one of my favorite players to watch. When he's on, that man is on. And then uh, Adrian Hauser as well. I know this was a rough year, but he was uh, came up big down the stretch last season for the Brewers. So once again, just a young guy as well. Got to find that consistency. But all of a sudden, you know, you might have, we know we got Burns and Woodruff, but all of a sudden potentially add Freddie to the mix or Adrian Hauser. And this is a, it's a dangerous rotation that they got, that they already have. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's going to be something to, to watch going forward. And, and now pitching is, is finally a strength for the Brewers. For the longest time, it, it's been offense, um, and, and now really kind of pitching is, is the core of the team. And you know they, they just got to find the offensive guys to to round out the roster and round out this uh, this team as as they try to make the the World Series for the first time since 1982. So yeah, I think that's a good spot to uh, wrap it up for this week. Um, we'll be back once again uh, next week to. You know, continue to go through the the Brewers offseason as, you know, things start getting underway, get a little bit more clarity about what's going forward. Um, So it's going to be a very interesting uh, next couple of months here for the offseason, about 175, 176-ish days until opening day 2021 uh, as currently scheduled. Uh, So it's going to be a good watch going forward. So thank you to Paul Brettel of Dairyland Express, former Reviewing the Brew alumni, for joining us uh, on this week's podcast. So for Paul, for my co-host, Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next week on the Cold Brew Podcast.